Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm not even positive we're not friends and we weren't <laughs> friends then he could walk into my bedroom right now and I have no clue who he was he but also exciting it. that a random man just walked into your bedroom <laughs> hello and welcome to crush the podcast brought to you by the believe podcast network I'm Kirsten Lyons and I'm joined by my cousin and co-host Aaron Raderstorff joining you from the desert now was, no longer in the woods I saw a map you're are you hiking I am. I'm on a hiking trip. Real quick. I know you're like, I go to New Zealand and surf and stuff or Australia or whatever, but like, who are you? You just spent five weeks in the woods and then you're like, I just got to go on a hiking trip. Yeah. In the desert. So it's different. (laughs) We did a hike yesterday. That was one of the hardest hikes I've ever done in my entire life. More so from the mental exhaustion because there is no path. You have to figure it out. We started at 7 a.m. We finished at 7 p.m. Like we were out all day. Equivalent of like 13 miles. It was crazy. Aaron, I just want to say the fact that you go, there's no path. I feel like that is it's just a metaphor. It's a metaphor for so much. <laughs> this past week has been, I feel like this past week in my life has been, there's no path. Oh no. Um, yeah. And it's, it's true. That's mentally exhausting when you're, you're constantly on the lookout for like, okay, where am I supposed to go next? Knowing that yeah. you're supposed to be moving forward, but you're like, ah, yeah, no, it's been it's been a really interesting week. Um, Aaron and I just went offline to talk about things because we haven't checked in. And she's like, wait, so what happened? And then wait, I was like, what, what happened? Not that we're not sharing things with you guys. Yeah, they're just not- going to make people want to know. <laughs> Join Patreon and then you'll find out what's really going on. Absolutely in my- not. <laughs> just kidding. But speaking of Patreon, wait, what are they called again? Patrons. Ah, uh, yes. Patri- it, it's not the best name. No, but for our patrons, we asked them, hey, listen, we love you so much. We want to hear what your mash is. Um, okay, our first one is Audrey. Wait, where is she? Where did you go, Audrey? Audrey. There you are. The first one is Audrey Baker. And Audrey Baker comes with pictures, and they are so adorable. She said, um, duh, she'd choose a mansion. And 100% she was going to marry Justin Timberlake. She said, I take credit for Justin and Jessica because my first girl crush broke my heart when she vandalized the gym in seventh grade. Wait, what? Did you watch Seventh Heaven? Oh, that was that. Oh, and now I get it. Jessica Biel and the whole, yeah. Did I watch Seventh Heaven? (laughs) Our moms are sisters. The last time I was home, I opened the TV cabinet. (laughs) Like half- Half of the bottom of the TV cabinet is just seventh heaven DVDs. Mm-hmm. Just season one through 27 or whatever. I'm pretty sure one time I, I had to spend the week at your house for some reason. I don't really remember why, but I remember I got really into that show, Touched by an Angel. <laughs> and your mom like snuck VHSs into my, my bag when I went home. Oh my gosh, that's the most Mary Pat Lines thing ever sneaking contraband of TV shows about (laughs) an angel. All right. So, and she said probably she would not wanted to live on a farm in Virginia and she wanted to grow up to be a doctor, a nurse, a vet, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom and president. So Audrey, 
Um, <laughs> I do want to be a Barbie. Did you have the Barbie that you could open the stomach and there was a baby inside? No, my nurse mother probably would have had some issues with that. It's not no. anatomically correct. I had airplane Barbie and she was the best. What was airplane Barbie? She came with the airplane and she had a little flight attendant's outfit and she also had a pilot's outfit because both. Yeah. She's doing all the jobs on the plane. She's flying the plane and bringing the drinks. Um, um, well, Audrey, cool. Audrey did not want to be a pilot. I just looked at her list again. Doctor, nurse, vet, teacher, stay-at-home mom, president. And she is a nurse. So oh, she did cool. it all worked out. Um, Audrey, thank you so much for supporting us and um, loving us and listening. Well, I don't know if you love us. I assume you do. <laughs> I would hope so. But maybe it's a hate give. You like you hate us and then you're giving money. But thank you so much. And um, I cannot wait to uh, share these pics in our stories because they're delightful and adorable and so cute. Okay, so our Instagram post was Justina talking about what she would tell her 12-year-old self, which is interesting because that's not what I had chosen. I had chosen a completely different clip and I could not get it to edit. Cause it like, it was being so weird on the app, the feed thing. Like I would, I would get it, but then I couldn't move it over or that it was like an hour. And I was, it was yesterday when I was in tears, it was just, it was just so really, I need I you to come. I, I know you. I'm almost back. I'm almost back. <laughs> I, need, Aaron, I need you back. And I'm happy that you're with your dad. I am, but I miss you so much. And our Instagram misses you. And <laughs> I know. My family misses me. I never see them. (laughs) You learned Canva. I did. Well, kind of. Anyway, so I was making this and it over an hour trying to like literally just like I had, I had cut the whole thing. It was in the right thing. It was great, but it would not move. I was, I was done. I was literally done. And so then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to use, this was my second choice for the clip. And I did it. And it was Justina talking about what she would tell her 12 year old self. And then I just decided to ask, you were hiking in the desert, so I couldn't ask you. So I asked other people, I said, hey, what would you tell your 12-year-old self? And we had so many replies. Yeah, there were a couple I loved because they were so funny. The ones that were specifically like, don't post any of those Facebook statuses. Or yes. like, stop posting this stuff on Facebook. He doesn't know you're talking about Oh him. my gosh, I 100%, yes. Loved that. I love the ones that were like, this one I really liked. The world loving you won't bring you joy. Mm. Ooh, I love that. Oh, stop caring about friends who treat you like a yellow starburst. You're a pink starburst girl. I know. I like that. I love that. I also love the ones that are like, you marry a really hot, rich guy who you love. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I love that. I also love it. He doesn't respond to your letter, but that doesn't reflect on you. You're worth so much more. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking a lot. I was like, I don't know who that he is. Like, is that dad? Is that boy? I don't know. But I just like my heart just like, oh, it gave me very much. It reminded me of the, there's a really good episode of girl meets world, which was nominated for an Emmy called the forgiveness project. Don't you dare laugh at me. I see you laughing. I love you so much. Corey gives the kids an assignment to forgive somebody and then write about how you felt about it. Mm. um, Maya, the one girl decides to write a letter forgiving her dad. She, in the process of it, she invites him to go to lunch, but then she kind of realizes she can't forgive him. And she's so she kind of goes to him and it's like, I failed. I couldn't forgive him. And he says, I never wanted that from you, but did you forgive yourself? Mm. I know it's so you really should watch the episode. I, I, I bought the whole show. <laughs> I have it. She ever want it? Isn't it on Disney plus for free? 
Gosh, I hope so. I don't know. You're so cute. I, you, I just realized my mom said it then and that's a little showing you have. Going. Yep. It's fine. I have 30 rock. We all, we all deal with what we yeah. can handle. Um, I really liked this. Don't lean more into others out of fear of losing them. Instead, honor what you feel. thought that was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I like using eyeliner in a tropical island as terrible <laughs> risk management. I would pay big money to know the backstory behind that one. I know who that is. And I have so many questions, so many questions because it's very much a guy. And I don't know if he's joking. He did grow up on a tropical island. So I don't know if he's joking. He went through a punk phase. Maybe he went through a, I'm uh, trying out some makeup phase. I'm not sure. I have so many questions. I keep forgetting to text him and be like, what? What? Stop posting thirsty Facebook statuses. The boy is too stupid to know we're talking to him. <laughs> Being able to run without a bra is actually a blessing. Love your body. So I really great. like that. I really like, there was a couple, eat more food. Don't be defined by your weight. Mm. I, I really loved, you don't have to be white to be pretty or cool. That one, the idea that. Um, there was a 12 year old who didn't think that. Yeah. yeah. Representation and just. Um, wow. Crying is healthy. It's okay to process emotions. Oh my gosh. That just reminded me. So I was thinking about this. So yesterday was just a shit show. Like I just, the past two days have been really just not lovely. I don't know if you ever felt like I felt a cry coming on. Like I knew it was going to happen, but it wasn't there yet. And I just hadn't, I was like getting almost like angry and like frustrated and I had journaled and like, but it just, it was, I don't know. I can't explain. I guess like, no, I know what you, I know what you mean. It's like, and then I just went into the shower and I just sobbed. Like I literally, I felt like I was in a bad romantic comedy where the girl like has her moment in the shower sob, but I was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And it felt so good. And two points, one, all of the work that I've done, like I still shame myself for being sad. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Do you feel it from the perspective of like, Kirsten, you've gone through so much worse. Why are you crying now? Or do you feel it from the perspective of there's so much worse happening in the world? Why are you crying over this thing? I actually don't think it's either. I think it's like, there's still this, I, I don't know if we, like you should be over this by now. Little layers are popping up and you know, it's like uncovering these layers. Um, yeah. But it was this element of like, once I had that really good cry, the whole day started to get better. This morning, when I went to shower, I laughed because I pulled back the shower curtain. I literally said to myself, ah, we meet again. (laughs) (laughs) But I was in a different place. Do you know what's so funny? I, uh, for, I don't even know how to say this. More or less, I got some news on whatever night it was right before Mm -hmm. I was about to get on a five, six hour flight. And I remember having this moment of like, I can shut this down Mm. or I can cry this entire flight. I went to the United Club. I bought a pass and I was like, I'd rather cry around rich people. And then I was like, I got to the gate and I was like, I was like, yeah, I could cry in front of these people. I had the whole road to myself. And I remember as soon as, as soon as I like kind of buckled in and and they closed the doors, I cried the entire flight. And Mm. I was like, no one could say anything. Nobody knows. Like, I just feel like crying on an airplane People just like let it happen, and they're like, "That's oh my that's gosh, I cry." I've cried the on friendly airplanes. skies. Like, <laughs> I've cried on 
multiple airplanes. But it feels weird. Like it feels like even though you're so close to other people, no one can see you. You can't see what's happening here. Bradley says he wakes up from taking naps on flights and he's like, where are all these people on my plane? (laughs) Yeah, I feel that way too. Um, Yeah. I just think it's like funny. It's like I sometimes forget how good a cry is. Mm. And just everything else bubbling over. It's like you're frustrated. You can't seem to get through it. You know, we have this camp song, but it pretty much goes like, can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it, got to go through it. Yes. And that's exactly, it felt like I was, it, yeah, the last couple of days have felt like I'm walking through something and I needed to walk through it, but I was like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. And it's You can't funny. make me. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like God was like, ah, ha, ha, yes, I can. <laughs> I'll give you free will, but I'm also going to put everything. But in not that much. <laughs> Yeah, it, it definitely, it was just, I don't know. I think I'm just really, I, honestly, and, and to be fair, I'm really missing you. Like I miss you. I miss doing this together. I miss yeah. being like a team effort. I don't just mean it from the work standpoint. That's not just what I mean. Like I miss, yeah, I just miss. Cause like, we also, you know, we talk a lot throughout the week mm-hmm. planning stuff, but then we also chit chat a lot. Yeah. But I'm glad, I'm glad you're back and, or back. Almost. Almost. I got to go to the casino one last time before I get <laughs> back. Let's talk real quick about our guest today. Our guest is Rachel Carmen. You may know her from such things as last week. Last week's episode. Uh, but I, I'm so excited about Rachel's second part. And, you know, I think what's really awesome, and we talk about this a lot with different guests, but like not everything's tied up in a bow, you know? Yeah. There, and I really, I really appreciate that. I was just talking to a girl who I was, she's single. She just moved here and we were talking about something and she was like, I love podcasts. What's your podcast? And I was telling her about it. And you know, I don't know if you've ever had this when people are like, what are your podcasts? And then their, their eyes just like get bigger and they're like, what, where, where can I find that? Where yes, I, I did. That? I actually had a really similar experience with um, a coworker. Yeah. It's, it's actually really cool. And I, I get really excited when I get to share it with people. And I always am like, you don't have to listen to it just because I'm on it. Like if, mm. you, if you think it's something, you know what I mean? I always mm. put a caveat in there. I just want to say thank you. I just, I'm, I'm so grateful that people were sharing something and people are excited about it. I think that's, yeah. Did you want to tell people the milestone we hit or are we saving it? <gasps> oh yeah, we did. We hit a milestone. You tell them. Our podcast hit 5,000 listens, which I know for, I'm not going to excuse that because I, I want to say like, I know for other podcasts, they get that in like an hour. Oh, it's huge. But like, it's we hit. huge and we're excited. And I think the thing I'm most excited about is that we have people that like really love the content we're putting out and really yeah. enjoyed the guests and think we're cute and adorable because we are. I know. Um, And we have people like we have patrons, pa- 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 patrons, patrons, I don't know. I ex- <laughs> anyway, we have people that like us so much that they give us money every month so we can the people. keep doing this. The people. Um, and I just am so excited. And so just thank you to those people. And all right, okay. well, this has been delightful. You enjoy your hikey hike hike with your bear socks. Thanks. We're doing um, Angel's Landing tomorrow, which is Reese Witherspoon going to be a part of it? All right. Well, guys, enjoy this episode. I would say meet Rachel, but you've already met her. So um, enjoy. Enjoy your second date. (laughs) Bye.
And then like, I mean, I think six months later, I was professing my undying love for him while he watched a baseball game. (laughs) Can you focus over here? But so we dated off and on through most of college. And I mean, it was very up and down. Like he was always very unsure about us. Mm. And I was very sure. I no longer was in this rush to get married, but was, did find so much of my identity in it working out and in our relationship working out around that time. And actually like changed my major, thank God, because Christian ministry, I was like, I don't want to work in a church, but started doing, I was a global studies major and did um, an emphasis in social work and social justice. And that was, it kind of overlapped. He actually was the same thing, the same major. And for, I initially, when I was changing, I changed my major six times in two days, um, which I feel like that right there is like the best example of just who I was and honestly still am. (laughs) It's amazing. I I went in first and I was like, I'm going to be a public comm major. And then was like, I absolutely hate public speaking, which is (laughs) ironic because I now do a decent bit of public speaking and love it. But at the time I would have, I had to take a public uh, communication class and it, I would have anxiety attacks like weeks beforehand of like, I cannot do this. So I was like, what am, what am I thinking? (laughs) But it was really because I didn't want to follow this guy. And I was like, everyone's going to think that I, I like changed my whole trajectory of my life for this person who's unsure if we should even date or not. Um, And wait, but that's where your heart lied, right? Like, is that where you want what you wanted to do? It's what I wanted to do. And it was actually a strange, I wouldn't talk to anyone about it Uh um, because I didn't want anyone to make up my mind for me. Mm. And there was a random guy in my Spanish class who I was, had told about, like, I keep changing my major. I don't need, I think the guy's name is Michael. I'm not even positive. We're not friends. And we weren't <laughs> friends then. He could walk into my bedroom right now. I'd have no clue who he was, but he, uh, he but also exciting me. that a random man just walked into your bedroom. <laughs> it's all, it's all really strange. <laughs> um, but he stopped me one day on campus. And he was like, Hey, did you decide what you're going to do for your major? And I said, I think I'm going to be a sociology major. That's where I've landed. And he was like, huh, really? And I was like, yeah, why? Like, who are you? He was like, well, your eyes just light up when you talk about like social justice and like working with those in the margins and those in need. And he was like, I'm just surprised that's what you landed on. And I like walked, I went back to the registrar's office and was like, all right, I've got to do it. And it was, and then walked out and actually this guy that I was dating was standing there was like, what'd you just, why were you in there? And I was like, I just changed my major to be a global studies major. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. But at the same time, I think part of why I was so hesitant was because I would have done it for him. I would, if he was like, Hey, I'm going to go walk on hot broken glass. And I want you to come with me. I would be like, all right, I can. Seems weird, but let's do it because I was so like, where some people are tunnel vision for uh, their career. I was very tunnel vision on, I just want to be with this guy. Felt like this identity that I needed to put on of like, well, who am I if I don't get married or who am I if I actually graduate from college, then what do I do? Like, what do I do if I'm not a wife and a mom? I don't know how to do anything. And it was this like debilitating part of me that, one, didn't have any confidence in what I was able to do. And two, just didn't know myself, like didn't know, 
like who I was or what I was able to do. And so would just kind of default into these things that were programmed into me to some degree or another growing up. But I really want to just come back to Michael. I've been thinking about this a lot, this idea in the last like year and a half to two years, this idea of being seen and this idea of the ability for us to see other people and to be able to speak truth into their lives is such an incredible gift to that other person. And I think about the people that have spoken truth. I have a really hard time when people don't tell me the truth. And I think it's because there have been times where people haven't told me the truth. And I'm like, I feel betrayed. Like I'm like, Kind of going back to what we were talking about so long ago about parents not telling their kids that they're bad singers and they go on American Idol. It's like, I had people when my ex um, and I broke up, I had people that were like, oh God, thank God we were praying that you guys would break up. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Why didn't you tell me that? Like, that would be nice to know. I have a problem with telling people the truth maybe sometimes. Riley says I don't have tact. Like, and maybe that's true. But like, maybe sometimes I should shut up. That's not what I'm saying. But I think what was so life-giving about what Michael said to you is he was like, your eyes light up. Mm -hmm. He was objective. He didn't really know you, but he saw something that was so true about you. Right. And I just think that's so beautiful that he was able to like, just from an observational standpoint, be like, huh, that's interesting because your eyes light up when you talk about it. Right, with zero agenda. Like he- where it's tricky when you're talking about people that are in your life is that we really have to remove ourselves from it. And so I can say something to like one of the kids that I work with or even like some of my close friends and, but I've got to check myself before I'm like, say the things that I'm saying of like, is this about me or is this about you? Because if I'm like, pretending to speak life into you in order to gain something that's not love and that's not that's manipulation life. yeah that's manipulation and I'll be the first one to say that I have done that in my life without even I've done it for the most part without even realizing it yeah absolutely and I have to say Aaron is actually it's funny I was thinking about this Aaron's one of my healthiest relationships <laughs> because no, I'm serious. Like, I feel like you and I tell each other the truth. You and I are honest with each other. And I don't feel like you and I have an agenda with each other. Sometimes it's like, oh, actually nobody asked you. <laughs> thanks, oh. for your, thanks for quote unquote, telling the truth. Nobody cares what you I, of that. I've got it all figured out when like, I don't even have my own life figured out. So I'm not really sure how it's, I, it's clueless. It's clueless slash Emma. You're so good at figuring out everybody else's life, but oops, you can't figure out that you're in love with your stepbrother, which is a whole other. (laughs) I mean, that let's be clear. That's the story of Clueless, not mine. Yeah. Of the story. Sorry. I don't have Clueless slash Emma. You caught me off guard there for a second. I was like, sorry. Like (laughs) what's that Clueless? Um, so when we broke up, I was like, well, I, this was awful. Like it was so up and down. I don't even know who I am. I'm just not going to date ever again. (laughs) And instead of like, oh, this person was wrong for me and I was wrong for him. It was like, no relationships are wrong. They make you compromise who you are. I don't know who, like, I didn't know who I was going into it. I really don't know who I am now. And I'm just heartbroken. And so I'm just not going to do it. I was a teacher for a year. I loved my students. I hated teaching. Like it just wasn't for me. And it was like, I kept doing all of these things that and nothing really fit. And it's funny because I look back now and I look at the work that I do now and I'm like, oh, of course, 
because I know myself now, but I didn't then. So it was like, I just kept trial and erroring everything. Then I mm. found, I started working at the shelter, eventually was able to go full-time working on Skid Row doing social work. Um, and can, can you really quickly give, because if people there, I bet people that don't live in LA know what Skid Row is, but I think there's a ton of people that also don't know. So just like a quick, yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, a one, uh, one square mile of basically it's a lot of encampments. It's a lot of different organizations that help people who have or are currently homeless. I was doing low income housing. So I was on the services side. So would literally get to meet people, do the paperwork and hand them keys and like end their homelessness, like one person at a time. Through You are literally world. living like the good news mu- movement every day. <laughs> it didn't feel like that because there were definitely days that I was like, there is no good news. <laughs> this community became my people. I mean, I was as well known to the people of Skid Row that I, than I, as I was to my friends and family at that point um, because I was there so much. And it really, Skid Row is such a beautiful community. There's definitely um, stuff that goes on down there that's hard to watch and hard to um, navigate but I've never experienced community the way that I did um, in the eight years that I was working there. You know, like I was constantly being roasted by the clients that I worked with because they would walk in of like who, I started when I was 25 and they were like, who is this little white girl? Who does she think she is? And I would always tell them like, you don't have to trust me. I don't expect, if somebody walks into my life like somebody walked into my life today, I would not trust them today. It takes time. And so I would just tell them of like, I'm going to be here every day. You can take your time to trust me, but here's what my job is here. What, here's what my role is in your life. And I would just get roasted constantly. And it was just hilarious because I do think that there's something, there's kind of a beauty in being able like to tease somebody in a way that shows you like, Hey, I know you. Like it's hard to tease somebody you don't know because you don't know the things to poke at. And so it really like to me felt like an honor, like how much they would like give me a hard time or I mean, constantly tried to set me up with people. And I would tell when the movie Brave came out, I've actually still never seen it, um, but they started calling me Brave, (laughs) my nickname, because they were like, this is you, you're defiant to love, you're defiant to relationships. And I was like, yeah, because I don't know how to do it in a way that feels like... But it was like, they, I mean, all of the residents that I worked with were like so invested in my love life or lack thereof. Um, really quickly, because you said something on the phone yesterday when we were kind of having the prelim that I just loved. And you kind of talked about why you went into this work. Knowing that I had a safe place to land, knowing that I had people loving and supporting me and really giving me the tools to succeed changed everything for me. And um, it actually started when I, I, I interned at the AIDS Project of LA in my, when I was in college. And I kept finding myself drawn to our clients that were homeless. Because for me, having both a physical safe place as well as an emotional safe place, I, don't, I could not have gotten clean without that. I mean, I would, I would have been homeless. The reason I was not homeless was because I, I had people in my life and who would not let me be and who wouldn't let go and who had the means to make sure that I wasn't. And so really felt like this draw to, I want to be a safe place for people who don't have necessarily have that safe place. I mean, even now the kids that I work with, most of them live with their families and have wonderful families. And so it's not that they don't have people loving them, but their families haven't all been given the tools 
on, you know, on the next steps or, or college, if that's what they want to do, trade school, whatever, whatever those tools are, you are, can only accept those tools from your safe places and from the people who love you and care about you and know how to access those things. And so that was really what started to change things for me was like, I, I didn't deserve this instead of sitting around and feeling guilty about it. Um, what can I do to, I don't even want to say give back because it really didn't like my desire to go into the work that I do didn't come from a place of like, I owe this to anyone as much as what a beautiful thing to get to do. And what a beautiful way. I really believe that as humans, we belong to one another and each one of our decisions and how we live our lives affects the person next to us. And so what a beautiful way to be able to express that by being a safe place for somebody who needs a place to land and needs a a person to love them and care for them and tell them like, Hey, you can do this. So yeah, to me, it just feels like this great honor like to get to walk with people in some of the most difficult times of their lives, um, whether that's through mental health crisis, crises, um, or substance abuse struggles or homelessness, whatever the case may be. It's, those are really vulnerable, scary times. By, by giving me the honor and the privilege of being in this with you, you are changing me. And so really in going through that, again, it sort of left me in this place of like almost kind of, I had always said that I was open to leaving LA since it's where I was from, really what I'd known. And I was offered this job here in San Diego and initially was like, no, I don't want it. Like I work with adults. I don't want to work with teenagers. Gosh, I know how important the things that were said to me, like how many things I hold on to from when I was in middle school and high school. Like I'm too afraid to be one of those people that's going to send a kid to therapy. (laughs) One of the greatest things that I think about when I started going to therapy that my parents were like, we know that you're going to talk about us. If you need to like talk to us about any of this, you can but also know that you are not betraying us by talking about, like, we have not been perfect parents. Talk about that in therapy. And it really was so freeing. My mom said the same thing. She's like, great, talk about me. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Can I ask a a quick question? You've mentioned a lot throughout this about um, saying, you know, oh, I just didn't, I didn't know myself or I was trying to figure out who I was. How do you, what are some things that you've done to get to know yourself in the last few years? I think, I mean, therapy is the big one. I think for the first three months that I started going to therapy every week, my homework was to identify my feelings. I was like, am I six years old? Yeah. A worksheet of feelings. Cause my therapist was like, you say that you feel bad or you feel good. There's no like, and those aren't actual feelings. So do you feel angry? You're like watching, you're like watching Daniel Tiger and he's like, I'm mad. I'm sad. You're like, yes. I watched a Daniel Tiger with my niece a few years ago and they sang this whole song about how you could feel two things at once and I started crying. (laughs) I was not diagnosed with anxiety until like late college because it just was not a thing that people, it's not that it was unknown, but it wasn't as understood in the same way. I don't think that it was, we knew what we know now about it. And like, looking back, I mean, I had debilitating anxiety my whole life. I mean, where like 
my parents talk about elementary school as like the worst times in their life because every single morning I would go into their room and be like, I can't go to school. I don't feel good. My stomach hurts every day. And it was because I just, I had this, I mean, my stomach did hurt because I had horrible anxiety and yeah, I mean, I do feel like so thankful to where we've come with our kids now that they're, you know, like we have words for it and are able to teach them. When she had me do that worksheet, it was so, especially with my anxiety, I would constantly be like, I feel anxious. And she would say like, okay, but what is the feeling? And I kept going back to, oh, I'm afraid. And I had never thought of myself as a fearful person. Fear definitely will keep me from things. And then other times it pushes me towards things. So like when I worked at the AIDS project, the reason I took that internship was because it was so foreign to me and because it was terrifying. And so I was like, oh yeah, I should do that. But then like for years and where we haven't quite got to fully, but where I was like, I, why would I date? That's terrifying. And like, and that it was really in therapy that she was like, you're scared. Like, this is what's stopping you. You're scared. And I just didn't, to me, I thought I was being strong of like, no, I don't need anyone. So I don't need to date. I don't need to like partner my life with anybody because I can do it on my own. While that is true, I mean, I don't think that any of us really, like, we can survive without partnering our lives with somebody. It wasn't that that was actually keeping me from it. It was this intense, debilitating fear of, like, I don't know how to do this, and so I don't want to. I feel like in every romantic comedy, that is the moment where they're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, like when you're writing, it's always like page six where you kind of the theme of the, like kind of what we're and It's always the character. Like I'm fine. Everything's fine. Why are you, this is not a big deal. Like I'm fine. And I think like every Hallmark movie. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Even like my friends would get in these relationships. They'd be so excited. And I was like, (laughs) like, you're so weak, (laughs) but it was really of like, I just don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to do this in a way that I can hold on to who I am. And then you dated someone. And then I moved to San Diego and the, my first, I would say my first year in San Diego, I had a full on identity crisis in part because I had made so much of my identity, my work on Skid Row in that community that leaving and taking a job that I do really love, but is not as like, it's not as cool. Like it's not as in that, like not as hip and scary yeah. as Skid Row. Yeah. There's not needles everywhere. Right. <laughs> I hardly ever see needles. It's so disappointing. Oh man. <laughs> and got here and I was like, nobody cares what I do. What do you mean? Like, then who am I? And I had to go through all of this, like self searching, figuring out all of these things where again, I had thought that I'd come to this place of like, I know who I am. I know where I belong. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses, all of this stuff. And then realize like, oh no, I just have decided who I was based on this part of my life and not, which is not everything. Like what I do for work is not the whole of me. It's Mm. just a part of me. Um, so I did, I started dating a guy who, um, was, one of my best friends, uh, really, I would say my best friend here in San Diego, we were roommates for a little bit and then, um, started dating and it didn't work out and it was devastating. I mean, and my initial reaction was, see, I was right. 
And then as I started to like process and heal, realized, wait, I wasn't right because I'm still me. Like I'm still like standing as who I was going into the relationship. If anything, I might just be better than I was before. Cause it wasn't a bad relationship. It just didn't work out. And I like redefined what successful relationships look like because really ideally only one works out. <laughs> so that doesn't mean all the rest are failures. It just means it, you know, there might be a few wounds to take away from it, but in my, my very expert opinion now, <laughs> realize, like, I mean, I, I have a shirt that's, it's a parks project shirt that says, leave it better than you found it. And I used to joke all the time of like, this is now my dating motto. <laughs> like it should be everyone's. I, I stand by that. hundred percent. Yeah. And so I, much of that really did heal a lot of the things that I had been holding on to or was afraid of combining like with my faith with relationships with who I am of like realizing like oh I actually can do this as me and I don't need to conform to be somebody else in order to be in the dating world I would say was a success and it hurt like hell when it ended and but it doesn't anymore and if anything, like I sort of look and I'm like, I did that. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like walking through the scary thing. So the thing that you were most afraid of happened and you're okay. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, I, I could do this again and it would suck, but you're like, but I'm okay. I remember when we broke up, I mean, I was absolutely devastated. And like the day that we broke up and stopping like in my like messy, ugly crying and was like, I'm still actually okay. I've been anxious that this was going to kill me. I'm still here. I spent so much time in that relationship afraid that it was going to end that it like in some ways was like, oh, I really robbed myself of some of like the goodness of like actually dating somebody that I like. But yeah. <laughs> um, okay. On that note, Erin, do you want to ask our questions? I would love to. Time? Okay. If you could give any advice to your 12 year old self, what would it be? I think it would be to really follow what I want to do and who I am. I mean, I wish that I, I grew up really feeling like I'm too loud. I'm too much. I'm like, I don't fit into this box that was made for me. Um, whether it was actually made for me or not was this box I was trying to fit myself into. And now look and like, Oh, because I wasn't meant to. Like I am, I am the consummate advocate. I was as a kid. I remember I had a boyfriend in fifth grade who um, somebody slapped him on the playground and I walked over to the guy, slapped him and kneed him in the balls. <laughs> I was like, no, you can't do that to people I love. <laughs> so somehow I didn't get in trouble, which is also strange. Um, not great yard duty, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or awesome yard duty. Yeah, or the best. <laughs> Um, but it's like that person that I was then that like advocate, that person who stood up for what was right is still who I am today. But I was afraid of that person because I was told that that person was too much. And so I think that I would just tell myself of like, you're not too much, just be you and go after it. I love that. Yeah, me too. Okay. And our last question, what is your crushed song? If it was on that iPod that you brought out yesterday. The iPod really changed my whole day in some really, really interesting ways, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's actually a song called All at Sea 
by Jamie Cullum. It's a pretty old song. And basically he's just talking about being alone. <laughs> and because that is sort of where I go, there's that. And then um, I do go back to White Snake. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> My Wait, God. is that the one where Tawny Katane is like on the hood of the car? Isn't that the one? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know the music video. It's a but... pretty rock and roll song for like crying in the car. Yeah. I mean, I tend to go to like angry, let's fight when I'm upset. Um, so all at sea would be when I'm like, like I've given up the fight. <laughs> I just, just like crying in the old. shower. No one can tell. Yeah. <laughs> crying and in then, the shower uh, or crying at your, like while you're driving. I feel like that's the yeah, mine is always in the car. I cry yeah. so much in the car. But the, there are these boss baby billboards for the new movie that mm-hmm. say, um, oh, I see we're both having a good cry in the car today. And the first time <laughs> yeah. I saw it, I was having a cry in the car. And I was like, that's so rude. Like, why <laughs> would they do that? Like I was, Rachel, this was one. I, I mean, this legitimately felt like a therapy session. It really did. No, honestly, I feel like I could go like run a marathon. I'm so free now. <laughs> I can imagine people listening to this right now. And what I love about it and what I love about so much, so many of our guests is that the stories aren't tied up in a little bow. And Aaron and my adventures in life right now, our adventures are not tied up. In, we're kind of both living in these question marks. And isn't that I'm kind of currently life? unemployed? So yeah. is it ever tied up in a bow? Yeah. Like, I think as soon as we let go of that, there's so much freedom of like, totally. I mean, really try to model for the kids that I work with. Mm-hmm. Of like, Hey, I'm just as messed up as you are. I'm not any better than you. I just am a few years further down the road. And I just uh, maybe have some experiences in things that you don't have. Yeah. Totally. And totally. you have experiences that I don't have. And that's a humbling right. thing too. I think- that's yeah. It. And there's such beauty in it. I, I read this quote and it, I actually was thinking about this morning going into this because I'm not, I'm not secretive about my story, but there are parts that I'm like, I don't love telling this. Um, but I read it's Morgan Harper Nichols. Love her. Um, I might go through this quote, but it's something to the effect of tell the stories of the mountains you've climbed. They could be the roadmap for somebody else's journey and it, I've, I've sort of taken that on and adopted it of, as my own of like, I look at other people's stories in whether it's addiction or heartbreak or whatever that may be. And like, oh, they did this and they got through it. Like they're still here. And so if I can be that for somebody, like what greater honor is there than mm. to tell your story? I love that. And I have one for you. I say it a lot on this podcast, but it reminds me of what you would tell your 12 year old self and it's be who God created you to be and you will set the world on fire. Mm, and I love that. and say that to the girls with that they're fire starters. Yeah. And I just love, I love that especially because it's like, yeah, sometimes maybe you got to knee someone in the ball. Sometimes not, sometimes not. Right. <laughs> um, so thank but you. So you do. yeah, sometimes you do knee them on the balls guys. Um, and on that note, (laughs) thank you so (laughs) much. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for coming on and mean everyone. Really wonderful. This has been really fun.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.